This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. I'm Helen Farmer. On today's Eye on Education, we are talking about the upcoming break from managing sibling relationships to getting out into nature. Plus, Nick Hart from Horizon English School sharing his philosophy on why parents and teachers can work together. And as Rebecca Cregan, assistant principal, sharing her thoughts on projects, ideas, where to go to keep those little brains active. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. We are going to be speaking to the educators with the principal and assistant principal about keeping brains active over the holidays and some ideas about where to go, what to do, some projects as well. And it's all about camps and um, getting in the great outdoors after half past three. Right now, though, it's about keeping calm, hopefully carrying on over the holidays, avoiding tantrums and the dreaded sibling rivalry. At what can be one of the most stressful and explosive times of the year. Ellen Nasseri is with us today from Parenting with Ella. She's a conscious parent and coach. It's all about keeping calm, mastering connection and boundaries, getting, and I love the sound of this, your child's cooperation without stress. And also, say, like to say, crucially, she's a mum of three as well. So she has been there, seen it, and is probably still going through it as well. Ella, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Um, I find it a bit of a... <laughs> I'm going to be honest here. Um, I find myself just wishing, wishing, wishing for the holidays. You know, it gets to this time. I'm like, I can't wait to have the kids at home. They're exhausted. I want to spend more time with them. And then when it happens, I'm like, get them back to school because <laughs> it's like the Hunger Games in our house. Yes. It's, it's quite conflicting as a parent. What's stressing your clients out right now? So most the biggest stressor for my clients is usually the lack of connection with kids. But the problem is it doesn't actually come up as, oh, I'm feeling very disconnected from my kids. It comes up in different ways. Like what? Power struggles, backtalk, um, not having their cooperation when you absolutely need it, mm. uh, or a lot of other issues that basically come up. The peers being more influential than the parents and therefore creating more disconnection. A lack of trust in the parents, which actually starts from lack of trust in the children mm. by the parents. So there are a lot of other issues that come up. But it never comes up as, oh, I need more connection with my kids. See, that's really interesting because I, I just said to a friend at the weekend that I was feeling really disconnected from the kids. And I think that, and then again, I'll be honest, I think it's because I'm working an awful lot right now. You know, it's it's very busy, busy time. And then I start to get them and I don't blame them for it being like, you're going out again or... You know, are you gonna, are you off when we're off next week? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not. And I get the parenting guilt, and then I start overcompensating, and I'm more permissive, and my husband gets annoyed at me for that. And yeah, the overcompensation can come up in different ways, mm-hmm. and it's almost always becomes the wrong overcompensation. I'm so sure. we're giving in the wrong message. But what they actually want is, do I matter enough to you? Do you see? Oh me? God, you're going <laughs> right to my soul there, Ella. <laughs> <laughs> no guilt, though, really, no guilt. It's all about juggling because mm. as moms, there's so much pressure on us from society to perform as a mother and as, you know, um, a wife, as an employee or a business owner or whatever it is. So it really is a juggle, but it's not about quantity, it's about quality. So if you can get 10 minutes a day with each child, that would be the biggest advice I would give to any parent mm-hmm. that quality time, one on one. 
One thing that has made a big difference, we're going to come on to talk about sibling rivalry in a minute, is yes, that one-on-one time, but something that I find really beneficial with mine is naming that time instead of just finding it, saying, you know, it's just you and me for the next 10 minutes, what do you want to do? And I, I guess that kind of hooks into their brain that it demarks it, you know, this is like, this is our time. Yeah, it's giving them the message before that time actually comes. So tomorrow at this time, we're going to be spending 10 minutes together and this is mommy Sarah time or whatever. And, you know, we're going to do whatever you want us to do. Of course, you as a parent can have boundaries in this time. I know a client who had boundaries where she wouldn't jump on trampolines. So that was a no-no because of her back. So you can have boundaries surrounding quality time, but you let the child call the shots and it's always what I call premeditated. So you always let them know in advance so that they're um, building up the anticipation to it, Mm -hmm. so that they're thinking of what they want to do with you. And you let them know through that message that I want you, I want to spend time with you, you're valuable to me, I see you, and I'm going to put everything aside, including my phone, my work, and everyone else, and this is the time that I'm giving to you because this is what I need from you. I want to come back to your... um point about how lack of connection or feeling disconnected can can manifest in different ways and different behaviors and that can be behavior of the parent but you know sometimes it's the the behavior of a child that can drive people to reach out to, to to experts and seek help how do you establish what the root is and let's use okay you said lack of cooperation there um and and that can be you know guys we need to leave in 10 minutes um i need you to get your shoes on get your bags and be at the door Guys, I need, you know, and this is what happens in our house. If I need to ask three times, I'm starting to raise my voice and I yeah. start to lose my calm. How do you start to pinpoint exactly what the issue is so you can start to build that connection and, and start to create that better communication, Ella? So let me just give you an example. And I do this a lot in my coaching sessions. I give a lot of examples. Children are like your bank account. So you go to the ATM machine, except it, you've had a really bad day and you just don't remember the code to your card. And you're trying to withdraw. But if you press in the wrong code three times, you've lost your card. And then you end up even more frustrated. Now with another day, you go in, you're not as frustrated. So you have the pin code and you're trying to withdraw a thousand dirhams, but you've only input 500. So you can't withdraw again. And children are exactly that. You cannot ask of them what you have not given them yet. So once you've filled up that emotional cup, that bank account, with a lot of money, basically, that's when you can withdraw. We should say not real money. This is, this is Yes, of course, not real money. For all the kids listening, this is not real money. They're like, a parenting coach said you should give us 500 dirhams. <laughs> no, this is not real money. This is basically filling up their emotional cup. So when you have filled up that emotional cup, that's when you can cash in, when you can withdraw with simple tasks such as clean your room, be ready on time. Mm. And we are cashing in the whole day. There are always you know, demands that we expect them to do because this is life. And yes, there are expectations. Mm -hmm. There are things that they have to cooperate on. They need to do their schoolwork. They need to do their, you know, tidying up or whatever it is. So if you have not given them that emotional one-on-one time, if you haven't filled up their emotional cup the way you need to, you can't really withdraw the way you need to. Oh, it's hitting hard. Um, Ella is with us today, Parenting with Ella. You can find her on Instagram. That's just one L. Um, up next, we are talking about sibling rivalry. We've had a message here saying, sibling rivalry, um, how about presents? We spend the same money, but they count the presents on Christmas Day and it drives me mad. Amy, we're coming to your messages and giving everyone some advice. If there have been a few explosive situations between your kids recently. 
You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Joining us in studio now, we have got parenting coach, conscious parenting coach, nonetheless, Ellen Nazari. She has got a master's in education. It's all about mastering connection and boundaries with your kids. And I want to talk sibling rivalry. Um, I've got daughters who are six and eight, and sometimes it gets violent. Sometimes it gets manipulative and it is always really distressing, to be honest, to be around. And I just said to you off air that it's often me, my attentions and affections that they are competitive about. And I wondered if you could explain with your parenting coach hat on and also as a mum of three, what is sibling rivalry and why can it occur? So sibling rivalry is basically the relationship between siblings that's gone sour simply because neither of the kids know how to regulate themselves emotionally. And that the problem there really is because they're both immature. So the responsibility falls on the parents to teach the children how to emotionally regulate so that they can be social beings and to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good news with siblings is that it's the parents that can create a change. And the bad news is that it's the parents that can create the change. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it depends on your mindset and how you want to perceive this, whether this is good news or bad news. But if you have enough control as a parent to really shift the dynamic between the children, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so children are emotionally dysregulated. And if they don't have the skills and Emotional regulation is really a challenging skill. I mean, we see adults that don't have it. Yeah, and, and that's an adult with a de- fully developed brain, thanks very much. Exactly. So with children, it's just like swimming. We're not going to expect them to learn how to swim in a week or two weeks or three weeks. Mm-hmm. We expect them to learn how to swim gradually over months, maybe years, and then to perfect, perfect the skill of swimming over time. And this really could take years. It's the same thing with emotional regulation. I think the sibling relationship is a really interesting one because, I mean... I don't say this lightly. I hated my brother at moments. I hated him. And now he's one of my favorite people on the planet. He knows how to, I mean, if he wants to destroy me, he can in a matter of words. But he also knows how to make me laugh in seconds. But in that sibling relationship, um, you, um, you kind of get to know what the depths of feelings, you know, you can love, you can hate, you can be in a safe space. Um, it's all about parenting this afternoon. Alet Nasseri with us now. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. Asma joining us live. Um, Asma, you've been in touch saying your son is an only child, but there are some family dynamics you could do with a bit of help with. Can you explain a little bit more for us for, and see if Ella can help? Hi, Helen. Hi, Ella. Hi. So my son is an only child. He's about ten, and he has, and he's in the car with me. By the way, listening in. Hi. Uh, he's. Uh, we have a lot of family here. Lots of cousins around the same age, and they see each other around uh, once a week at least. And sometimes things can get um, argumentative or just physical. And yeah, it's always they started it. So I was just trying to see the best way to handle a situation when there are multiple parents involved. And uh, obviously no one's, you know, the parents are not fighting each other or anything. But to try and handle the situation without hurting, you know, the mm-hmm. kids or taking sides or, you know, making one feel like it's someone's fault or not the other's fault. 
I think what can be really hard is making, we were just talking about this off air, how me and my husband have got very different parenting styles and that's just two people. But when you've got families, you've got, you know, cousins, brothers, sisters, you've got all sorts of different parenting styles all in the mix and trying to be on the same page, Ella, I'm sure must be very, very challenging, even though you ultimately want the same thing, which is for your kids to, you know, be kind to each other and respect each other. Right. It is challenging. And then the fine line is where do you actually intervene and where do you not and leave the kids to their own devices. Um, So, hi, Asma. I'm just going to let you know that, hi, Asma's son as well. Um, So with this situation, it would be best, obviously, to set the expectation before going into a family gathering with your own child first. And what you can do is perhaps be on the same page with the other parents as to how you will all react or interact with the children if something does arise. And it's never okay to be judgmental or accusing if a problem does arise between the kids, but it's always best to be the referee and a coach. So you go Mm -hmm. in to find out what has happened. You are basically fact-checking. So, oh, I see that, you know, you're angry and I see that you want the ball, but you guys, you know, need to agree. So let's see what we can do here. And then asking the kids to be part of the solution. I think, yeah, I mean, uh, on a weekly basis when we're doing this, um, Part of it is that, and the other part is just, oh, he gets to use the device. Why am I not allowed to use the device? Why? Because every family will have their own rules, you know, and mm. our no devices when we're visiting family. Uh, yeah, I get that. We, ha- we actually have the same issue. So my sister and I always try to get on the same page before the family day begins because it can seem unfair. However, at the end of the day, you can say, well, this is our family rules and that is theirs. Mm -hmm. While doing that, you can still maintain empathy and compassion for your child because it does seem unfair to your child if they're on a device and your child isn't. So you can still have that boundary if you insist, but make make sure you maintain it with empathy and kindness. I know you really want the device. I know all your cousins are playing on it. But we have a policy where we don't use devices on family day. Mm -hmm. So maybe you and I can do something for a bit here. So maintain your boundary with compassion and empathy. But you can also try and get your family on the same page so that all the children are pretty much in the same boat. Asma, all the very best. Please keep us posted on this and um, and hi to your boy as well. Um, Thank you so much for getting in touch. Uh, parenting with Ella. We've run out of time. We haven't run out of questions um, and we, we didn't even talk tantrums, so which I think could be a, a topic for another day, if that's okay. Sure, of course. In the meantime, they've had a number of people asking for your details. Um, it is Parent with Ella. Parenting. Uh, Perry, with. Sorry, Parenting with Ella, E-L-A. Um, you can send me the word parent, as many of you have on 4001. I'd be very happy to send you that Instagram. Great resource there as well, by the way, in terms of you know, taking taking some of your top tips from Instagram. But of course, if you are looking for some specific advice or one-on-one coaching, you can connect there. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, we will, of course, talk tantrums because I'm basically bringing together experts to help me with all of my parenting problems. <laughs> so welcome to the Brilliant fold. Idea. <laughs> this is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well being and happiness since its opening in 1989. Fantastic to have you with us this afternoon and we're joined live by Nick Hart or Mr Hart as he's more commonly known around campus. He's the principal at Horizon English School. He's got an MBA in educational leadership and he's written publications on culture in schools, frameworks for improving academic and pastoral outcomes for pupils, helping them thrive and succeed. Um, Lovely to have you with us today Mr Hart. How are you? 
I'm really well. Thanks, Helen. Thank you for having me. I know everybody's limping towards the end of term and I think a lot of schools have got an awful lot going on. You know, we've got festive dress ups, we've got end of term celebrations. So I really value your time to to sit down with us today and, and talk about, well, Education, for one thing, um, and how we as parents can be on the same page as our teachers and ultimately work as a team. We often think that we're be like we're on, on different teams and that should never be the case. But before we talk about that, I wanted to talk about you. Um, why did you want to work in education? Why were you drawn to that, um, that field in particular? Well, my, um, my degree choice as a 17, 18 year old was uh, sports sciences. I grew up wanting, thinking I could place football at a high level um, and through that I got into coaching uh, and that experience of seeing people develop seeing players develop was really rewarding and so I wanted to go into that um, that kind of education the teaching uh, side of things at, at, at a primary school level and so uh, when I left my sports science degree I uh, joined, joined a school as a teaching assistant and then did a teaching qualification and um, the rest is history. <laughs> You make it sound so simple. Um, but I think, I mean, if the pandemic taught me anything, it's that, that perhaps I'd underestimated just how much hard work is involved in teaching, you know, just how much we need and should be valuing our teachers. Um, and I, I wanted to, I guess I wanted to shine a bit of a light on the, the passion that so many teachers have for educating. You used the, that word rewarding there, and I'm sure there are hundreds, you know, thousands of students that have passed through your care and, and your expertise over the years. But are there any kind of standout students or situations where you've had that moment of going, my gosh, you know, this is a hard job, but it's so worth it? Yeah, I mean, you always remember certain children in your classes from kind of at the very beginning. And I I can pretty much remember a child in every year. There's always there's always a handful of children um, as a teacher in your class that you uh, that you kind of see a real reward from teaching and their development. But the the ones that stick with you most are where um, there have been examples of children at a disadvantage in some way, where their start to life may not have been. Um, as as good or they might not have been a lucky as lucky as, as some other families and so um although although schools are not the primary educators the parents are i think the difference that that teachers schools can make to to families mm-hmm. that in some way are disadvantaged in some way um i think that that that's at the heart of of what's rewarding it's kind of give it make making an even playing field for the children that might not ordinarily get the circumstances and the opportunities that that, that some uh, that some families offer for their mm-hmm. for their children so balancing that out is is i think at the heart of what's rewarding for me I think that speaks to a really interesting point that children can be disadvantaged in different ways. And, you know, you've worked in the UK widely and, you know, we've seen you know, some really awful situations where school has been that point of stability. You know, it's been where there has been a, a role model there has been some and sometimes it's one. You know, you're talking there about, you know, you, you remember a few students. I'm sure everyone listening today can remember a teacher that's had a huge impact on their life. But maybe they're disadvantaged financially, but maybe they're disadvantaged in in a sense that the parents aren't as engaged or interested and aren't, yeah, just, you know, just not there emotionally. So thank you for, for raising that. I think we, we sometimes forget um, just how unfortunate some kids can be in, 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 in myriad of ways. Um, now, Horizon English School goes up to year six. So you're looking at that kind of early years education, Mr. Yeah. Hart. Um do you have a philosophy in education? I know that's a big question, but when we're looking at those age groups in particular, can you explain a little bit about what your mission is? 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the, the great things about primary education um, and one of the things that is really special about Horizon English School is the primary specialisms of not just the teachers, of course, but but of all the senior leaders. So um, we're very lucky that we have um, not just education experts, but experts in how children learn at that young age. So ed- educating a, a three-year-old in FS1 is very different to educating an eight-year-old in year four, is very different to educating a, an 11-year-old in year six, and of course is incredibly different to educating teenagers mm-hmm. in uh, in all three or secondary schools. And so for me, it's a, the, the, the first bit is the importance of, of those early years. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the kind of the early years, particularly the foundation stage, because that's the for, for me that's the the time where children's beliefs their attitudes uh, and their habits about school are formed if you can look at any child who is underachieving in some way at uh, when when they're a little bit older you can track that back to their experience um and and the progress that they might uh, have, have missed in the earliest years and so getting that right in the uh, in the very early years is i think is is crucial it's at the heart of what kind of i believe and, and want to set up um, Horizon English School as. I mean, it's a, it already is a, a strong, uh, an outstanding early years environment. And that's that's because we pay attention, I think, to the right things. Early early education doesn't look like later on. So when if we're parents and we're and we're looking at what the, the diet is, the experience of very young children in school, it can look very different to uh, to what we might expect in our memories of school and so the the, the emphasis on play and socializing and um, learning to regulate emotions they're they're all fundamental parts of um, early education that when we get them right children absolutely flourish and so mm-hmm. it's, it's called the foundation stage for a reason it's the building blocks of uh, of school life and i think um we we deliberately at horizon english school push resources down to our youngest children because we get it right there then there's no limit to what children can achieve thank you for putting the value there because i think we're often very quick to talk about the academics and talk about results and as you're talking then kind of in those later years um but what happens if it does get to those years and you start to think oh gosh you know wish i could turn back the clock 10 15 years and and spend more time with that little three-year-old and do things differently is there any recourse yeah, I think, of course, I mean, that's if we didn't think that, then we wouldn't be doing the job we're doing. I think um, understanding the development of children is really important. If children miss particular building blocks in those in those early years, they are still needed. Whether that child is eight or 10 or 12, those building blocks are still so, so crucial. So um, the primaries of learning in the in the early years are a testament to this. There's a we need to have a real focus on language development to make sure that children uh, can communicate clearly they can understand words and 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 grammar and uh, and how and how we speak but there's also the uh, the physical development and that that can sometimes be neglected children can sometimes spend a lot of their time um being too still being indoors <laughs> um and not and not moving and, and with with technology um as uh, abundant as it is with the ipads and tablets and phones and that kind of thing it's all too easy to have children sitting um doing something like that when in fact they need to move they need to uh, develop their their big muscles and their small muscles they need to um, learn where their, their place in space and and to, uh, to to really develop that kind of the strength not just in their big muscles but the smaller muscles as well and that I think uh, going back to the point of what what if it's what if it gets a little bit later those things are still really important the emotional regulation so sometimes when children are 
um, struggling when they're a little bit older. So they may not have learned to recognize the emotions they're dealing with, to have strategies for how to how to deal with those. And, um, and it's never too late to do that. It's never too late to co-regulate with a child. It's never too late to to talk through how to model through how we're feeling and to, uh, to and to model strategies. Children copy us. Children uh, copy the adults that they that they know and love. And um, it's never too late to to model that. For, for our children so that they can pick up any any uh, gaps that they might have had from um, earlier years. We are going to be talking next about how we can do exactly that, parents and teachers working together, being on the same team for the good of our children's, yes, education, but those social skills and how we can create amazing young people to go into the world. Nick Hart is with us today. He's the principal at Horizon English School. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. And it's the principal at Horizon English School speaking to us now, Mr Nick Hart, who has got an MBA in educational leadership. Just been talking about the importance of as you correctly say, Mr. Hartley, that those foundational blocks of those early years. And I wanted to ask about how we as parents can support you guys in the classroom and I guess vice versa. And I find the, the, the model in the UAE and, and other places where you are paying for education, a, a bit of a, a mindset shift for me. You know, I went to Comprehensive in the UK and I, I, I have seen some parents falling into the trap of feeling like customers and I'm not getting value for money and I need a refund because of X, Y, Z. Um, and often forgetting that we are ultimately on the same team and we all want the best for our children. And I wondered if you could perhaps speak to that. You know, how can we work together to help foster a genuine love of learning in our children? Yeah, Helen, that's a really good question. I think um, at the heart of that is sharing information. So, um, for example, what we do um, in foundation stage at Horizon English is uh, this system of focused children. So for two weeks at a time on a rolling um, on a rolling program, um, each child uh, is the, the focus of adults' attention more so than normal. So what we would do in that period of time is meet with the parents uh, and we'd ask about um, what's going on in the child's life that is significant at, at this point. It might be that they're moving house or they're getting a little brother or sister or they've got a new pet or um, anything that is significant. Maybe they're starting a new um, sport. And what we we'll do with that is tailor children's educa- education so um if a uh, one of our children is uh, getting a new little brother or sister very soon would we'll set up in our foundation stage area uh, a home role play area which is all about looking after looking after babies and that sharing information between parents and teachers can really personalize uh, a child's education uh, and 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 the more that we know uh, about how the child is at home and and what their interests are what makes them tick what makes them kind of angry what makes them sad though that information is so valuable to teachers so that they can adapt provision mm-hmm. um to 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 help them learn uh, uh, the things that are relevant to them as well as what's on our curriculum and that i think is a, a real strength of ours but it comes down to um just sharing information, sharing information with, with, with the school so that we can use it. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose part, another part of it is is how we talk. So um, sometimes when parents and teachers talk, um, well, all the time when parents and teachers talk, children listen. They hear what we say. They see how we um, act. They see our body language. And um, if if we are talking positively about school, about um, our emotions, about uh how how we um, ca- carry ourselves at school 
children notice and they copy. And so um, having really good conversations uh, that that uh, at the heart is looking forward to going to school and looking forward to taking opportunities and uh, and reveling in challenge and that kind of thing that makes such a big difference when uh, teacher and parent are both on the same page so like you said as part of part of a team when we get that right when we share information when we talk positively and we're and, we, and we're on the same page that is really what makes a difference in terms of uh, getting children to develop a love for learning I can, yeah, okay, I need to start tempering my language around my <laughs> my maths phobia in that case. Um, now, gift giving season is coming. Um, holiday season is coming. Um, and I wondered about that home environment. We're going to be talking about projects um, in just a few minutes. But do you feel like there'd be any great additions to a Christmas wish list when it comes to whether it's, you know, final gross motor skills, about encouraging a love of learning, anything that any home would benefit from having, Mr Hart? Definitely, and so um, the, the the break is important for children to 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 rest and to uh, kind of come back refreshed after uh, after a couple of weeks off. But um, particularly younger children, they they absolutely need um, continued learning um, opportunities. And the first one there is being social. Um, the the holidays are a great time to visit family, to visit friends, to to meet up in different places and to interact with each other. What we're finding, uh, and in fact, globally, what's been found is that children in the, uh, that the youngest children during the COVID pandemic, when socialization was inhibited, um, that's had a lasting impact on their ability to interact, to uh, resolve conflict with, with other people, to um, manage their emotions, that kind of thing. And so, um, it, it it's it's fundamental to what uh, to, to children's development to to be social to be around other children to be around other adults both familiar and new so that each of those opportunities is is one for learning but also there's the um the the idea of being physical uh, and uh, moving and uh, it's it's so tempting to have an ipad have a computer have a, a laptop have a phone um but those um that that kind of it gives the opposite of what children need. It prevents being social and it prevents movement. And so limiting screen time, maybe more so than normal, um, is so important when children are off school. Because think about all the interactions that children have at school. They've mm. got uh, 20 or so other children they're interacting with for several hours a day. They've got the adults that they're familiar with and, uh, and, and sometimes new adults at school that they're interacting with. And so it's understandable sometimes that, that, that technology is used as part of a child's day. But in the holidays, when they don't have that interaction with a wide number of children, it's even more important to get, uh, get them interacting, get them moving, and get them uh, active because uh, it's really it really is fundamental to their learning. But I also think that um, the holidays are a time to, to to let children find their flow with something, to find something that they really enjoy doing, to and and to pursue that. We know that um, in terms of well-being. Um, that, that feeling of flow where time passes really quickly and you don't even notice. If we can get children experiencing that with things that they enjoy, with things that they love doing, or maybe even picking up a new interest or a new hobby, those are 
brilliant opportunities in the holidays to try something new or to spend time doing the thing you love whatever that is it could be playing with lego it could be riding a bike it could be please don't um, say drums no drums it's a drum free house well, i'm advocating for drum kits particularly for your children <laughs> my brother's a drummer the sandra metronome gives me ptsd but you're absolutely right especially now when the weather is just incredible. Um, I think it is a lovely opportunity to, I mean, treat your children like Labradors. They sometimes just need a good run around. And, uh, and as Absolutely. you say, they're used to being around kids. They're used to having, being challenged by different subjects all the way through the day. Um, they're used to having different role models in place. So um, I need to figure out a way of setting those parental controls on those iPads. Um, Mr. Absolutely. Nick Hart, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate your insights and all the very best to you and the team there. We're saying the kids are tired and they need a break, but my goodness, the teachers have deserved a break too. So thank you so, so much. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. Okay, so this time tomorrow, the kids will be home. The holidays are approaching and we're equipping you with some ideas, some things for the toolkit and some inspiration too with Rebecca Cregan, Assistant Principal at Horizon International School. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you, Helen. How are you? I'm well, except I've got this kind of mixed feeling of I can't wait to have the kids home, but oh my goodness, the kids are going to be home because I'm going to be working they're going to be there. Um, and I think a lot of parents have this kind of conflict of, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I spoiling them? Are they bored? Um, so we're bringing in the experts. And that is you. Um, keeping some little brains engaged, maybe them learning without even realising it, hopefully. Um, and I wondered with your kind of teacher hat on, are there any you know fun educational activities that maybe projects that could be running throughout the holidays that can help our kids you know, just enjoy themselves and maybe even learn a thing or two. Oh, absolutely. And now as a child, uh, my mum always used to encourage me and my siblings to complete small projects in the holidays. And we never thought of these as learning opportunities, but clearly my mum had an alternative agenda. (laughs) Keeping you busy. Uh, Depending on the age of your child or children, um, most memorable activities that I used to do as as a nipper and I do with my children as well, that promote many learning opportunities are things like baking, um, being in Dubai as well. We were able to get down to the beach and have beach-based activities. Um, Den building is always fun Mm -hmm. and um, physical activities are are a huge benefit whilst we're over in Dubai as well in this lovely time of the year that we're, we're facing at the moment um, the reason why I say baking baking has so many learning opportunities attached to it um, in foundation stage the children and, and well foundation stage children and older children can benefit from baking uh, for foundation stage learners baking can enhance the fine motor skills and children's language development whilst older children can develop and practice their reading skills mm. their math skills and gain a greater understanding of science concepts through mixture ratios and the ways in which ingredients react to create a final product and not forgetting the memories that you'll make along the way. They will last a lifetime. I I remember making bread at school and I must have been quite little, maybe seven. And I just listened to a podcast this week with a cookery writer called B. Wilson and she was talking about, you know, fostering a love of food and, and cooking in our kids. 
And she was saying, you know, sometimes it's, yes, it's about, you know, making a mess, but actually how lovely it is for kids to make something that tastes delicious. You know, I think we've all got memories of, you know, rock hard rock buns and inedible bread. <laughs> but if kids are able to make something that they're really proud of and that they can give to their parents and their parents are like honestly impressed by, I think that's that's core memory made in, in my book. Um, it's funny you mention your mum there because that in the summer holidays, my mum and, and, and dad used to, we used to take a scrapbook with us on holiday and we'd have to do a daily diary. So we'd stick in the tickets of anything, anywhere we'd been to or we'd draw the money and we'd write little notes about what we'd, what we'd done. And I think if I'm, if I'm being honest, I think she probably just wanted half an hour of downtime at the end of a busy day and <laughs> would stick us on an outdoor table to, to, to you know get the felt-tip pens out. But, you know, we kept those for a long time and I keep on meaning to introduce it to the kids and... I think you've been giving me a bit of a nudge there. Um, what about things like, you know, writing? And, and Because, you know, we don't want that. We talk about the summer slide quite a lot, don't we, in terms of skills going backwards. But three weeks is actually considerable time when we think about how much writing our kids are doing in schools. Um, what about incorporating that into some projects? You, well, you've just taken the words out of my mouth there. Because <laughs> as a child myself, my mother always used to make uh, myself, my sister, my brother uh, write a diary as oh, well. Um, we used to have to take photos, stick in bits. We'd go and collect flowers and stick those in the diaries as well. And then we'd come back to school with with this book, like almost like a craft book full of uh, lovely experiences that we'd had. Um, and then not only can writing a diary help you remember the wonderful things you may have experienced that day, but it can also help um, children with their mental health by developing, um, uh, developing problem-solving skills and allowing them to mind map and reflect on possible solutions mm. to challenges that they've been facing or potentially that they've, they've seen that day. And writing down their thoughts can help explore and understand their thinking, giving them a sense of control over their problems and feelings too. So mm. I think diary writing is definitely a, a fantastic way to remember the holidays but also to to reflect on the day that you've had and reflect on how you've been feeling that day as well mm -hmm. thank you notes were the other ones that we were we were, my mum was very hot on she was always there with a list on Christmas morning about who's got you what and then you can spend the next week doing doing your thank you notes um what about and I'm sure you must find it really interesting when kids come back after a weekend or after a holiday about places they've been to in Dubai you know activities they might have enjoyed have you picked up any good tips about getting out the house and you know into into the city um yeah so the, the children really enjoy getting out but doing those sort of norms that they, that you would do in any country I suppose um where where the children have gone on holiday and they've just wanted to explore um we get lots of lovely ideas when the children come back they want to talk about their experience that they've been out and seen and 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 things that they've that they've identified in in Dubai itself um talking about uh, they've come back and they've maybe had a scavenger hunt like parents have put on different things when they've gone out and the activities they've taken part on for uh, things like scavenger hunts or physical activities that they've been doing they've taken you know these bikes you can hire on the side of the road and, and gone um, around Dubai identifying the different um, buildings etc that they've talked about within school the school uh, days that they've had with their friends as well shape hunts as well the children come back and have identified different shapes within buildings that they might have seen or things they picked up at the park um, or at the beach. Well, I think your work here is done, Rebecca, because you've actually got me, you've got me, you've got me thinking about, you've got me excited about the holidays. Not that I wasn't before. My parents arrive 
on Monday. I think Granny Babs is going to have a nice to-do list of things to do with the children when I'm at work in the afternoons. And then um, I think I think it's a lovely, it's like a nice alchemy, isn't it? They need a break. The weather's amazing. If you're lucky enough to travel, then that offers all sorts of brilliant opportunities. But to enjoy Dubai um, at this time of year is just is just fantastic. And as you say, kind of rich with opportunities for exploring and education. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I just said to Mr. Nick Hart of Horizon English that, my goodness, the kids are exhausted, but the the teachers deserve a break. So I hope I hope you get a, a lovely break over the holidays as well. Um, thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Speak soon. Happy holidays. Rebecca Cregan, Assistant Principal at Horizon English School. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Horizon English School, rated outstanding by the KHDA, a British curriculum primary school focusing on child well-being and happiness since its opening in 1989. Now, this time tomorrow, the kids, they're out. School's out for Christmas. So what should we do with them? Talking about getting into the great outdoors now with Paul Oliver, the co-founder of Absolute Adventures. He is a um, an outdoorsy character. We've just been saying he's climbed Kilimanjaro seven times, a highly qualified outdoor instructor and expedition leader and was one of the original founders of Gulf for Good. Tell us a little bit about where your passion for the great outdoors started, Paul. It started a very long time ago, actually. When I was 21, my very first company was a yacht charter business. My father was a yacht master in the UK, and I completed a a sailing course to help him out. So we spent all of our time sailing along the south coast of the UK over to France. Uh, And then when I came here many, many years ago, I've been here over 40 years, so most of my life now in the UAE. And initially, while I was here, the outdoors was my personal passion. But as I got more qualifications and I did more expedition work myself, that eventually led to founding Gulf for Good back in 2001. And then seeing the demand for professionally led adventures, Mm. I quit the board of Gulf for Good in 2005 and set up Absolute Adventure. Since then, you have, I mean, talking about making memories there, what was your initial goal with starting Absolute Adventure? What was your your mission statement? Well, really, I had so many great experiences with Gulf for Good, but people, of course, couldn't keep going back to their same friends looking for sponsorships. So I was constantly being asked to organize trips privately. Mm -hmm. So that was really the motivation. I love being on expedition. And I saw the great demand from individuals going out. So one of the, I guess, disadvantages of Gulf for Good is that they are putting on the same adventures time and time again. Although they always look for new adventures, they have to do with his most popular. So every couple of years, there'll be the Everest Base Camp, there'll be Mount Tupkal, there'll be Kilimanjaro, etc. Whereas... As an adventurer, you want to do something different yeah, all the time. You want to be you know? exploring. Exactly. You always want to be out there doing something different. So really, that was the motivation, and there was clearly a demand for that. Mm-hmm. So in 2005, I was really developing interesting outdoor expeditions for adults. But of course, the reality of a business is you have to follow where the demand is. And the demand came from groups, corporate groups, school groups, And what we find now is actually the school residential camps make up the largest part of our turnover. 
I think what we sometimes forget, and I say this at a beautifully clean studio overlooking skyscrapers and the Burj Khalifa, is just how lucky we are in terms of the great outdoors here in the UAE. It is just the most incredibly diverse, you know, from endless dunes to, you know, the mountains in Ras al-Khaimah to, you know, to, to dibber and snorkeling and... Mm-hmm. Um, And sometimes we just don't know how to connect with it. Sometimes we need someone to show us how to enjoy it, how to conquer it, how to do it safely. Has that become a bit of a mission in terms of celebrating the UAE as well? It is indeed, yeah. I think it's always a surprise even now when people come to me and say, I've lived in Dubai for six years and I've never left the city. It's really quite common. And it's shocking to me because the very first month I arrived in Dubai, which was back in 1982, believe it or not, I was immediately out exploring wow. and thinking, what a wonderful country this is. So I, my parents lived here in 1982, by the way. Um, when I first moved here, I came to work for Explorer and I was involved oh, yes. in, in writing their off-road books. And within the first month, I'd woken up in the middle of the Leeward Desert feeling like I'd landed on the moon. But I think I was really lucky that I was working with a company that was about off-roading and camping. And we were a young social company and we were making maps and writing books and yeah. um Unfortunately, as you say, a lot of people don't have the confidence or the gear or the connections to get out there and start to explore. And, you know, we were talking about nature deficiency last Mm -hmm. week on Iron Education and just how important having our children, you know, being barefoot in the dunes or, you know, in rock pools or, you know, even, you know, climbing, climbing mountains is for their, well, cognitive skills, for their motor skills, for, you know, goodness me, their ability to sleep better at night. What What are some of the big, big rewards that you've had, I guess, from connecting kids with nature, Paul? Well, you're right. There's there's definitely a deficiency of nature with most modern kids. Uh, interestingly, when kids come to our camps, the biggest concern they have is that we don't allow mobile devices. Is, that, is it, it the parents' concern or the kids' concern? Well, both. But of course, the kids, it's as if they can't communicate with that without their device. And it can be quite traumatising for them to realise they've got to leave it behind. But isn't that interesting? Because you and I grew up at a time when, I mean, I, I got my first mobile when I was 17, 18. Whereas that's all those kids have known. So we, you know, Indeed, we, 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 yeah. can't, we can't blame them. It's, no, 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 of no, course no, but not. It, but it's, it's just a very, it's a, that's a big mindset shift. Indeed. And of course, what we find is that after that initial trauma, <laughs> all the other kids there are also in the same boat. They're not allowed to use their mobile devices. So it's very, very quickly forgotten. And after the first few hours, they don't even think about those devices and they just really love being outdoors, being in nature. And typically at the end of their residential camp, they're desperate not to go home. They want to stay longer. They're asking their parents, when can they come back? So what are some of the things and places, and, and obviously the, the, the winter, winter break is coming up, are you hosting any camps over, over those holidays? And what does that look like, Paul? Well, we do have a couple of winter camps coming up during the school holidays. Between the 11th and the 15th, we have a camp for 9 to 12-year-olds. And then the following week, from the 18th to the 22nd, we have 13 to 16-year-olds. Uh, obviously, we, we separate those age groups because of the appropriateness of the level we're delivering to But that will be very similar to a school residential camp where they come to our Calba facility where we've got this beautiful brand new water sports centre set within the Alcoran Mangrove Reserve. 
uh, and we have our mountain camp set within the Al-Hafir Reserve. So they will do a number of activities every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. There'll be different activities. All the food is provided, campfires at night. Uh, so they'll have a great time during those five days, four nights. I love the idea of kind of not just getting back to nature, but getting back to basics, you know, navigating by, you know, by nature or learning how to use a compass, for example. Yeah. Um, are we kind of kind of kicking it old school? And we, obviously the, pho- the phones are gone. What are some of the, I guess, the, the crafts, the skills, the life skills that, that these kids can learn? Well, they'll be doing a number of different activities. On the water, we've got canoeing, kayaking, paddleboarding, raft building, and the mangrove exploration around the reserve. On the land, we have a high and a low ropes course. We have trekking, biking, archery, bushcraft, which is like survival skills. We've got a sensory trail, and lots of other fun initiative type games. I want to go. We actually often get that same question when we're presenting at schools. It's always the parents saying, can I come too? But they can't. They can't on these ones. Uh, We've had a number of messages asking um, where, when, which company. Okay, so let's let's finish with that, Paul Oliver. What's the best way of people getting in touch? And it might be educators, it might be parents, um, it might might be people like me who are like, surely we could do a, we could do a a weekend away as friends, um, of getting in touch with you at Absolute Adventures. Okay, it's Absolute Adventures. So the website is www, of course, absolute-adventure.com. You'll be able to inquire through the website or through our social media channels on Facebook or Instagram, which is adventure.ae. Or you can just drop us an email at info at absolute-adventure.com. And if you miss that, you can. I'll make it even easier. Send me the word adventure and I'll send you the link so people can find out exactly Indeed, what you're yeah. all about. What about you? What, what adventures have you got planned for 2024? Because I need some inspiration. I need, a, I need a project. I need a goal. I need a summit. Okay. So I've been on hundreds of adventures, of course, by all means. Kayaking, biking, hiking, climbing, uh, sailing, of course, and 4 by 4 driving all over the world. Uh, what I'm doing next summer is going down to South Africa to do volunteer work at a nature reserve. So it's conservancy work. So that will be down in the Western Cape. Amazing. So anti-poaching and... Uh, yes, anti-poaching, conservancy, and that's uh, marine as well as on land. Sounds amazing. Well, don't stop exploring. Don't stop bringing back that... Uh that passion for the planet and celebrating a number of people getting in touch on 4001 with the word adventure. Speaking now with the founder, Paul Oliver. Thank you so much, sir. Really appreciate it. And have a wonderful break. If I mean, I know your idea of relaxation is probably very different to mine, but enjoy I'm yourself. Sure. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> My pleasure. That was Eye on Education. I'm Helen Farmer and you can catch us live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Thursday afternoon.